Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another one of our Back to Jerusalem podcast. We are closely moving into the season of Christmas. And during this time, I would like to ask you to please consider going online and buying the Back to Jerusalem Christmas book. This is, a, like I've said before, this is not like any other Christmas book that you've ever purchased in the way that it's not just a book. It's not a book that you read from cover to cover, though you can. It's not what we recommend. It's something that is more of an evangelistic outreach tool for Christians, that for ministering to Christians and getting them to move. Today, one of the biggest tragedies of our lifetime is that we have utterly failed in taking the gospel to the rest of the world as we were told by our king. Most Christians are not aware of this. That's why they're not so much involved. And that is one of our missions, is not just to work together with the Chinese to get them into the most unreached areas of the world, but to also motivate and mobilize the global church to finish the Great Commission in our lifetime. It is a bold claim to say that we can do that, but I believe that we can. I believe that we can reach the darkest, deepest, most furthest reaching areas of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, and I believe we can do it in our lifetime, and we have to have a concrete plan. One of the ways to motivate people this Christmas season is to just get this book and put it out in an area where other people can see it. It is a great conversational piece that can be put on your coffee table. It can be put into a waiting room of like a doctor's office or a dental office, to maybe even in your cubicle at work, uh, an area where other people can see it and they can just browse through it when they're waiting with nothing else to do. There's big, beautiful pictures of different areas of China, and we talk specifically about what it is like in China during Christmas time for those that have been in prison and those that have been persecuted. Basically, we ask one simple question. What if we stripped all of the cultural trimmings away from the Christmas that we today practice? What if Christmas had nothing to do at all with December 25th? What if Christmas had nothing to do with a Christmas tree or lights? What if Everything that you thought about of Christmas was stripped away from you. Would it still be as wonderful as it is today for our culture? In China, that's exactly what they're looking at. They're looking at a Christian that it does not have a Christmas that does not have all of the traditional trimmings of uh, one horse open sleighs and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and Santa Claus. All of those things are absent. In the Chinese Christmas and what is it that they still have left in their hands we also have this book with a prayer bear that we pray can be given to a child uh, a, a, a child that can have this prayer bear put into their bed and that every night before they go to sleep it will be a reminder for both them and their parents to pray for the Christians who are in the most closed countries of the world and included with that it's a it's a three-part package uh, included with that is a CD that you can play it'll play Chinese underground house church uh, songs that m many of which have never been heard before and you can play that in the background we would love for it if you played it in the background at maybe your Christmas party or um, your Bible studies or uh, even as a background music during uh, the in the waiting room of your business or the place where um, you might have access to like a, a school office or something like that because this is not considered to be Christian music 
because it's not familiar to the Western ears. It is done in Chinese, but the Spirit of God is all over this. We brought in people from all over China. So please consider going on to the Back to Jerusalem website, looking for Christmas in China, our book, which we usually sell it for $40, but we're making it for a $30 offer. Uh, right now, if you go on, you will see that together with the bear and the CD. Uh, thank you so much for those of you that do go and get, get that for this Christmas. 100% of all the proceeds from this book sale will go to buy gifts for the children that are running from the war right now in Mosul as the Iraqi army and the Kurdish military move in to free the city of Mosul. Today, I want to talk about something that I don't think we have really talked about ever. Now, I know that I've talked about it in part, but not in the way that I'm going to be talking about it today. And it's, and it's something that I believe um, we are missing around the rest of the world. Uh, if I watch BBC, if I watch um, SVT, which is the, the Swedish news, if I watch the US or the, the Canadian news, I am not seeing one of the largest stories that I think is going to change an entire continent. That continent is Africa. What the Chinese are doing right now in Africa is changing the continent for the better forever. I believe what is taking place right now with the Chinese on the continent of Africa is doing more good for Africa than every single Hollywood star put together as well as every single musician that has ever done a fundraiser for Africa. And th this is 10 times better than anything they could ever even dream of doing. One of the reasons why is that the Chinese are not just coming in and giving a free gift of providing uh, medication. And all of these things are good. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. But I am saying that uh, sometimes uh, we can have good intentions but not really make an impact. What China is doing in Africa right now is making a huge positive impact impact forever. The economy in Africa is growing and it's largely contributed to what the Chinese are doing right now in Africa. One of the things that they're doing is they're building the most expensive series of railways in the history of the African continent. They just opened up a brand new 750 kilometer line that links Addis Ababa in Ethiopia to the seaport. That entire 750 kilometer line with several stops actually takes about 10 hours, completely bypassing a potholed road uh, that can take many days for a truck to try to navigate. Completely bypassing Somalia, the sea uh, way, the sea journey, which is extremely dangerous because of the pirates that have not been tamed on the eastern horn of Africa. And when we look at this 750 kilometer, which is about, you know, roughly 460 miles of runway or railway. This railway system was built by two Chinese companies that came together, uh, supported by the bank, which is owned by the state, as well as state-owned companies. So the Chinese government is moving to make these investments inside of Africa, and they're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it because they want to extract as many resources from Africa as possible because right now the growing Chinese economy is extremely hungry for the different resources that are available, widely available throughout all of Africa. But the problem is getting those resources out. Many Western countries do not want to do these kind of investments inside of Africa because they don't agree with the leadership inside of Africa. And the leadership is not really changing because the leadership has complete power over the people. And the people are so poor and impoverished that they don't know that they can actually rise up and fight against the leadership. And if they do rise up and fight up against the leadership, they're getting absolutely zero help and assistance or resources from the West. China's coming in and saying, hey, look, listen, it's your country. You run it the way that you want. We just want to do business. And one of the ways that we want to do business is we want to really buy some of the resources that you have available, whether that's oil, whether that's copper, whether that's silver, whether that's diamonds, uh, whether that is um, the special metals that are needed to make computer boards, uh, whatever your resources are, we want to buy them. 
But for the love of God, we can't get to those resources because your roads absolutely suck. And getting to the inner portions of Africa where a lot of the good stuff is, is very, very difficult because uh, we have to go through other countries that want a piece of the action. They're not really doing anything but providing a link from point A to point B, but they want a, a, a slice of the action. They don't want a legitimate slice. They, they want an illegitimate slice. They don't want to make a contract with the Chinese and, or any business partner for that matter and say, okay, listen, everything that you bring across the border, we want 5% in custom duties. No, what they want is say, no, 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 it's free, and then give you the hopes that you can uh, transport your goods from point A to point B, but as you try to go through their country, as you try to go through, um, uh, God forbid, Somalia or Sudan or um, even places like Kenya or Zimbabwe, um, they have border agents that basically uh, hold goods hostage until they are able to extract their own fee. Because they're not getting paid almost anything. Um, if there was a customs fee, that customs fee goes directly up the chain to the to the high-ranking officers or to the the extremely um, corrupt leadership. And then the leadership keeps everything for themselves and riches themselves. And then the people at the bottom get absolutely nothing because it's understood that they can basically uh, rape all the resources that can come through their hands anyway. So they can keep. Uh, containers of goods stopped for days while they drink tea and they try to talk and, and then they try to find out if they can get any bribe money or if they can get any under the table money. And they'll keep, if they feel that they're going to get more out of you, they will keep you there longer, which makes countries have to pay more money for their goods. And at the end of the day, they end up paying so much money for the goods because of all the corruption that those goods are no longer worth their market price. They get a business person can't work with those uncertainties because uncertainties uh, cost money. They can't work with those delays because delays cost money. They can't work with the bribing because the bribing, they don't really know where it ends uh, and that costs money. By the time the businessman gets it from A to B, they can no longer make money and if they can't make money, they're not much of a businessman, right? So what the Chinese are doing is they're moving in and they're securing uh, contracts together with African countries countries to rebuild their railway system so that they can bypass a lot of these problems. And now on Wednesday um, in uh, Addis Ababa, they unveiled a, a train station, a train that is able to go from the Red Sea port of Djibouti. Um, and it, it was uh, this inauguration of this amazing, beautiful stations, all being run by Chinese, all been built by the Chinese. So they just revealed that. And that's a big deal for both Djibouti and Ethiopia. Uh, one of the big productions that Ethiopia is making is coffee. So now coffee is able to get to customers because, I mean... I don't like coffee. I never drink coffee. I, anybody that is around me to tell you I don't drink tea, I don't drink coffee. I had coffee for the for uh, you know the first time in my life when I was serving in the Persian Gulf area when I was in the military. We would drink it to to stay awake. I found that I like the Ranger Pack better. What's a Ranger Pack? Well, that is your coffee pack that you get in your meals ready to eat, what we call the MREs. And when I would open those babies up, I found uh, coffee, a sugar, and cream. I, to be honest, it tasted so bad if, if I tried to actually make coffee. Um, and, and I grew up in a coffee house. My, my stepdad made coffee every single morning. I loved the smell of it when I woke up. I tried to drink it. He would always drink Maxwell. Maxwell House or, or whatever it's called. So he would he would have Maxwell House every single morning when I woke up. It'd be brewing in the coffee pot um, by the time I woke up in the morning. And it was such a beautiful aroma that went all around the house. It was a wonderful, wonderful way to wake up. But when I tasted it as a teenager, I absolutely hated it. And when I tasted it in the military in order to stay awake because I'd be pulling all-night 12-hour duty shifts in the desert at night, uh, I'd be super tired, a little cold during the winter time in the desert in Iraq, and is is really cold. Um, so having the um, coffee in and you know brought out warm and everything was 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 a great idea. But I I hated it when I was a kid when my when my stepdad gave me a taste. I I, I hated it when I was in the military, and in fact. I would take the coffee grounds, mix it with the coffee creamer, mix it with the sugar, and just eat it. I would just take it dry and then eat it. When 
even add hot water. I found that it was much easier to 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 swallow and digest and get the same impact if I just ate it raw without the dilution of water. That's how bad I hated coffee, and I've always hated a coffee, and I've tried it in several different areas. I had this wonderful, kind lawyer in Hong Kong one time that said, Oh, you poor child. You have you have only had bad coffee. That's why you don't like it. And she took me to this uh, amazing Italian cafe, I guess, um, and, um, and and then paid a super big amount of money for a little small uh, coffee latte or whatever it was. And she gave that to me. I hated that as well. I didn't want to tell her that, but I did. I absolutely, I, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, you know, I just give me juice or coke coca-cola i that's that is my preference if if i'm going to choose my poison it's going to be a coca-cola that is my american tea that's what i usually tell the chinese when they ask me what would you like to drink i'll always say megul cha american tea give me the american tea tea um the coca-cola that is that is what i want so the very first time that i ever had coffee that i really enjoyed was actually in addis ababa where um i guess coffee actually comes from ethiopia and it was good there was this uh they they this this guy that i was working together with he had a a maid in his house and she actually comes from the area where coffee first originated from and she had this she had this little bitty group of rocks around on the concrete floor outside the stairwell where we were at and she made a little fire and then with her little fire she put up rocks in a way that she could put her uh, steel pot on top and with that steel pot she actually roasted um, the the coffee beans and made me coffee and it was good i mean it was something i really enjoyed if you've never had coffee from ethiopia and i'm not a connoisseur so i can't really tell you what good coffee tastes like and bad coffee tastes like but i can tell you i liked what i tasted in ethiopia well now ethiopia is able to get their goods out to other areas of the world because they can get to the sea in Djibouti. i think that rhymed somehow but anyway now, Ethiopia, uh, which, which by the way, it's not just their coffee, but they have a lot of other agricultural exports that they would like to get out to the rest of the world to cus- consumers that want to buy their products, but they can't because they can't export really out of uh, Ethiopia. But now they can using this Chinese line out from Djibouti. And this is boosting the manufacturing industry, not not just for um, Ethiopia, but also for Djibouti, because Djibouti is getting a huge economic bounce. By the way, for those of you that don't know, China was not the fastest growing economy of 2015. Ethiopia was. Ethiopia was the world's fastest growing economy in 2015 with a growth of 10.2% which is actually pretty accurate when you look at the double digit uh, economy growth in China it has it it has um uh, a, a, a people that have manipulated the numbers a little bit you have less manipulation of those numbers in Ethiopia uh for many different reasons that I won't get into but anyway this is the first time that they have had a brand new a train built in Ethiopia since 1979, where they had a, a train uh, along a French-built diesel line construction in 1979, 1917. Sorry, so 1917, which fell into despair uh, decades later and still hasn't been uh, repaired. So they've been waiting for that for a while. It hasn't come to fruition. So you have these horrible roads that go from point A to point B. But uh, now. You're able to actually travel um, along a Chinese-built um, fast train going from Djibouti to Ethiopia, which is a big deal for us at Back to Jerusalem. This is opening up a lot of super highways inside of Africa for the Back to Jerusalem missionary. The new railway was $3.4 billion dollars. And they're building other railways as well. And they have a red line, a yellow line, and a green line, which is China's way of invoking the Ethiopian flag and paying homage to the Ethiopians. 70% financed by China's Exim Bank and built by China's railway group, which is owned by the state, known as China Civil Engineering Construction Company. Now, this is the Chinese government 
making investment into Africa as these trade deals. So whenever you see these big economic trade summits uh, with Europe and Africa, yeah, these are the ones where the um, where Europe, the Europeans and the Americans are not there. That the Chinese are coming in and doing their own trade summit, and I can tell you their trade summit is having a huge impact on Africa. Some of the biggest investments in all of Africa for decades, and it's doing a lot of lot more humanitarian good than any other humanitarian effort inside of China or inside of Africa. Now, I know I'm going to make a lot of people upset. I'm involved in humanitarian efforts. I believe in humanitarian efforts, but I'm telling you the transportation of goods and people from point A to point B in an unobstructed way is one of the best ways to grow an economy and bring freedom to the people. And that is one of the best ways for the transportation of missionaries and God's word. And if we can get God's word into the deepest areas of Africa, we will see a continent change. You ever notice how we have all these huge revivals that are taking place? You ever notice how we have these 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 huge crusades in Africa to the, where, where people can, you can fly a drone over the top and as far, far as you can see is nothing but people. It's like an ocean of people. You ever see that? You ever see ministries that come back to the U.S. or they go back to the, U, the EU and they talk about these huge outreaches that they did in Africa and they got these massive numbers of people coming to Christ and yet, and yet, things still seem to remain the same? Yeah, I, 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 and, and this is not a direct attack on anybody. You know, sometimes people listen to the podcast and they, they think that I actually have somebody specific or a ministry specifically in mind, but I don't. Honestly, sometimes I'm just talking uh, about general ideas. I mean, gen, in general, you know, I'm following Christian websites on a regular basis, right? I, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast um, listen to a lot of other media sources of Christian news as well. If you don't, you should because uh, I, I, I'm, are, they put in a lot more effort into their productions than we do. Um, I'm actually doing this podcast using my mobile phone, which is, <laughs> to be quite honest, it's not going to be the very best quality reaching your ears. And that's, that's okay for us and that's okay for a lot of our listeners because a lot of our listeners want to know what's going on on the mission field on a regular basis. And I tend to share news on our podcast that you don't hear anywhere else. What you do hear on other podcasts is usually testimonies, uh, people that have stories from the mission field, people that talk about how God's word is being shared or sometimes they share ideas, sometimes they share about messages from the Bible. Sometimes they, they share about training series and training seminars and the impact that that can have. Uh, we're a little bit different. At Back to Jerusalem, we like to talk about uh, what's happening in business, what's happening in the news, what's happening in politics, what's happening militarily, and what's happening in missions and how all of that comes together in this one big concoction and put into a pot of soup. And then we try to serve you that soup here on Back to Jerusalem podcast. Uh, what we what we often report about is things that we feel nobody else is really talking about because we're on the field. There are so many times where because I travel more than 300 days a year, I travel you know all over the world on a regular basis, and the places that I go to are usually not the places that people go to for vacation. So I'm not going to Hawaii. I'm not going uh, to the Bahamas. I, I I'm not making my way to Seychelles to get it work on my tan. I usually spend most of my time in places like uh, Jordan or. Vietnam or North Korea or Iraq or Iran. These are places that, you know, I'm going to on a regular basis. And what happens is I get there. I get to the field. I get on the ground and I realize, holy cow, this is stinking amazing. Why is no one talking about this? Why haven't I read about this? I'm hearing people share things with me in, in personal conversations and, and I go onto the internet and look it up and find out it is being reported, but it's so kind of shuffled under the other stuff. It's kind of um, maybe way out there in some random news agencies that nobody else has really heard about before. So what we try to do is we try to bring that together into this podcast so that we can share it with you, our audience audience and, and share things that you're probably not going to hear anywhere else. We try to share things that, uh, that make me go wow. And if they make me go wow, I'm thinking that there may be a few other people that are listening to this podcast that are also shaking their head at the same time thinking, wow, yeah, no, dude, I'm with you. Eugene, I'm right there with you, dude. I haven't heard anything like this either. 
So when I start sharing about these railway lines that are opened up in Africa, there are people from Africa that I know that we're working together with that haven't heard this. Now, they know that China is making investments. I've said that before on our podcast. But just on Wednesday, they just opened up this brand new line from Djibouti to Addis Ababa, which for a lot of people that haven't been working in Africa or haven't been working on the continent of Africa, that may not sound like a big deal to you. But what you're essentially doing is skirting around the inner borders of Africa outside of Somalia. Now, now think about this. Africa is huge. It is a massive continent. It's not a country. It is a continent. It is a massive continent. And to get from point A to point B takes all stinking day. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really difficult to traverse from east to west Africa or north to south Africa. It's a big, big continent. And so you do have countries that are on the shoreline, but many of them have wars and battles and, and unstable situations. And then you have this inner portion of the country that has maybe places that are a little bit more safe, maybe places that are just as messed up as the, the coastal areas. But people that are wanting to do good things to Africa, many times what they do is they go in and they do humanitarian projects. Maybe they, they build water wells. Maybe they build schools. Maybe they build uh, – uh, hospitals, maybe maybe they, they build churches, maybe they preach the gospel, maybe they hold crusades. But what good are we – we're seeing like um, – is it Sting? I, I'm not big on these guys. I, I know that a lot of people might um, uh, shoot me right now, but I honestly don't know the difference between Sting and Bono. Uh, but one of these guys really uh, campaign a lot for Africa. And they campaign a lot for Africa and they raise a lot of money for Africa and they go to uh, and, and they're able to make a difference in people's lives. And that's amazing. But what if there are ways where you can make investments that raise up an entire community, an entire society, an entire tribe, an entire nation? I mean, do you have the guts to dream in the way that you believe that it's possible to impact an entire nation? What about an entire continent? That's what China's doing right now. And it's so much, it's so exciting to be kind of in the, the, the wake of this Chinese economic engine that's going through. And it's for selfish reasons. But those selfish reasons are benefiting the Africans as well as the back to Jerusalem missionaries. Now, there are some um, bad things, but I'm not going to talk about that. That's not my job. I don't want to, I don't want to tell you the bad parts about the Chinese making investments uh, in Africa. I want to tell you the good parts because most people aren't hearing any part. So I don't want to dilute this amazing message because I do believe that the good far, far, far outweighs the bad. So what you have is the Chinese moving in and building these massive railway lines. Now, I've only covered one part of it, but China's actually making efforts all over Africa. And it's going to change the world for Africa. They're doing more than the Hollywood stars and these music artists that are trying to raise, you know, a few um, thousand dollars. I'm always amazed. I don't know if you are. But I'll listen to these movie stars when they when they do these big um, uh, fundraisers. Uh, to do something like help people in Africa. Uh, and, and at the end of these big fundraisers, and there's a lot of really well-known people, I'm usually blown away when I, feel, when I hear that they raised like a few tens of thousands of dollars or even a few hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm like, really? What? I, I thought these guys were millionaires. I, think they, I thought they had a lot of money. I thought they cared. I, I, I would think that I can usually go to my friends and raise a few million dollars. Uh, these guys, um, to only raise a few hundred thousand dollars and then get all of this press and publicity, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I, I would think that you would be able to do so much more than that. But um, that's neither here. I guess that's maybe that's just me. And I'm not, uh, I, I, I just expected more maybe. Uh, maybe I thought that they were capable of more. Maybe I thought that they had more powers of persuasion. I don't know what I thought, but I definitely thought that they were greater than the amount that actually comes out for Africa. Um, but th this is the first section of East Africa's nation's railway that China is, um, is working on was almost $14 billion. $14 billion, and it's nearly finished. Uh, originally, the plan linked Mombasa with Nairobi. 
and the decision was made to extend the line to the market town of a place called Navasha. And that was last year in 2015. 75% of civil works have been completed already for this line that goes Mombasa to Nairobi. Now, the first Mombasa-Nairobi stretch will be completed already in 2017, even though the investment was made primarily last year in 2015. So the investment being made last year, the project being completed next year, that is fast. That is, that is so super fast. Have you not been to Africa? It takes me almost a year to get from um, uh, Sudan to, to Uganda by bus. I mean, it ta- feels like it takes forever. One time I was traveling with a group from the UK known as Flame International, really great group, ran by uh, uh, a former military um, uh, uh, lieutenant colonel from the Royal Army named Jan Ransom. So Jan uh, was in the Royal Army. She, she has this vision to, to start working in Africa. And uh, she, she travels there and she does a lot of healing the people, healing the land, ministering to um, uh, the military, ministering to ministers and pastors and ministering to a lot of like rape victims and people that have really been hit by the tragedies. And, and Flame International has done amazing work in the UK. If you're in the UK wanting to do a trip and, and help in a very practical way in Africa, I would highly recommend looking up Flame International. Um, you will find them under with, with Jan Ransom as their director. And um, I can remember one time traveling from Sudan together with her, South Sudan. And we had to take a bus. <clears throat> that bus took forever. We broke down along the way. It rained a little bit. Because it rained, the bus got stuck because the, the roads were dirt roads. We were heading towards the Nile River. When you get to the Nile River, you have to sit forever waiting for a ferry to come and pick up the bus. You have to get on the ferry. Once it gets there, it takes forever to get across that Nile River. And then you get to the other side and you have to get back onto the bus, which, you know, you got mom and pops that are carrying all of their produce uh, in these big makeshift cases of like made out of blankets. Um, and uh, it, it, it's just a very long affair. It takes a long, long, long time to get from point A to point B. And it wasn't geographically, it wasn't that far. It just took so long because the roads were so bad. The traffic was congested. The, the, there was no bridge over the Nile. It was just, it was an absolute nightmare. And all of that is now changing because of these massive train projects that China is doing inside of Africa. These trains travel at about 120 kilometers an hour. So can you imagine covering 120 kilometers in an hour in Africa? Usually in one hour, you can maybe travel 10 kilometers, traveling at a rate of 10 kilometers an hour because of the road conditions, because of uh, congestions, because of having to wait for a ferry and those kind of things. Now we're not just talking about people, but also goods. The trains that the Chinese are making are able to carry about 25 million tons per year. This is according to the International Railway Journal of Africa. Eventually, this whole East African Railway Master Plan will link Mombasa as well as other major cities such as Kampala and Uganda and Juba in South Sudan. This is going to be revolutionary for the people in South Sudan where our Chinese teams have been working. One of the big problems with South Sudan is getting goods and people in and out of the country. I can remember one of our Back to Jerusalem missionaries working inside of South Sudan right after South Sudan became a brand new country. She had to go by bus because we couldn't always get her on a plane with math flights. In math, they have this ministry that flies people and goods from point A to point B in different parts of the remote areas of inner Africa. Well, they don't always go to the places where the Chinese are. And if they do, sometimes it's not always uh, uh, cost uh, efficient for us. So we had uh, Sarah, who was several months pregnant with her big old belly, bouncing around on the bus going from um, uh, Keji Keji in South Sudan to um, uh, Kampala. And it was an absolute nightmare. And if you can bypass that bus, especially for a pregnant woman like Sarah was, this little small Chinese pregnant woman out there like a fighter um, in uh, Africa. It was quite amazing to see how God was using this determined young lady in South Sudan, but it wasn't always easy for her to travel back and forth. If they open up a train station in Juba, 
that links it directly with Uganda, game over. Game over because now you're going to be able to get goods back and forth into Uganda. Uganda is getting goods back and forth into into their country. Um, and so uh, that is going to be a huge, huge difference uh, in the economy for South Sudan when you link it with Mombasa. Uh, because that means that you can get goods from China now, and, uh, and more importantly for the Chinese, get goods from South Sudan back into out to the seaports where the Chinese can get it to themselves. This is being this this is this is a, a game changer, and it's not just for South Sudan. It's not just for Ethiopia. It's not just for Djibouti, but Nigeria. They have a coastal railway that China just invested $12 billion on in 2014. In 2014, China Railway Construction Corporation signed a deal with Nigeria that guaranteed them $12 million to build a railway. And a lot of people are like, yeah, but the, there's so much corruption in Africa that the Africans will just uh, – the Nigerians will just waste the money. You're not dealing with morons from the West. These are Chinese. They're not handing money over to the government in Nigeria. They know the Nigerian scams quite well. They are making deals. They are bringing in $12 billion, but the $12 billion is not going to the hands of the leaders. The Chinese are building these railways themselves. This is China's largest single contract overseas. I'm going to say that again. Because that's a big deal. Think about all the places where China is working. Think about the United States and all the trade that they have with the United States. Think about the trade deficit between the United States and China. Think about all of the goods that are bought in China by the Europeans. Think about um, all of the major uh, consumer-hungry people in the United States and Europe. The largest single contract overseas for China is in West Africa, Nigeria, with a $12 billion tra coastal train well railway stretching over almost 1,500 kilometers long, linking Nigeria's economic capital to the west part, a place called Calibur, which is in the east. So you have Lagos connected with Calibur, uh, 1,500 uh, uh, kilometers, which is now... Uh, a way that the Chinese are able to get their goods from point A to point B. But now the, excuse me, the Nigerians are also able to get their goods from point A to point B. But they didn't stop there. They, they didn't, they, they're, they're tapping into South Sudan, but also North Sudan as well. So now uh, China has made another agreement between Chad and Sudan, making another railway system. In 2014, this was two years ago. I didn't know this two years ago. Uh, China signed a, a $5.6 billion agreement with uh, Chad and Sudan to build a, almost another 1,500 kilometers, a little bit less, um, 1,344 kilometer railway network that connects Chad and Sudan so that we the, the Chinese can get the goods from Chad and Sudan. Um, this is a huge uh, development for Khartoum. Um, not just that, so not just getting the goods from, from Chad into Khartoum, but also getting it from Khartoum to the port of Sudan. And to, for, for the, uh, to get the goods from Khartoum to the port of Sudan is another um, tragic roadway system of the Sudanese that haven't built up their roads. So the Chinese signed another deal of $1.38 billion um, to build a railway uh, a network that will stretch from Khartoum to the port of Sudan so that the, the Chinese can get their goods from Chad to Sudan, from Sudan to the port, from port to China. And that will go vice versa. That will go backwards as well to get goods from China into Sudan and Khartoum. Are you seeing how this is developing for the Africans as well as for the Chinese? The Chinese have put in, put in a railway system that can be used by anybody. It can be used by the Americans. It can be used by the Europeans. It can be used by other African nations when they trade with each other. So what is happening is China is connecting um, the, these inner 
countries, these countries that are in the interior of Africa, to the seaports so that the Africans can trade with each other from the interior to the exterior, as well as getting goods from the interior out to the rest of the world. Now, that's been one of the biggest problems for the Africans is not just the fact that they have many of them, not all of them, many of them have very corrupt officials um, that, that basically rape them of all of the resources and keep them in, in manufactured poverty. Um, but outside of that, they also, even if they did have good leadership, they don't have a way of producing things to connect. Trade would be able to lift them out of poverty quicker than any sort of aid program. What they don't need, in my opinion, this is my own opinion, um, I'm sorry if a lot of people find this offensive and maybe a lot of people don't agree with that. And that's completely fine. This is my own opinion, but I don't believe what uh, Africa really needs is another world food program that brings in food for free. Um, I believe that actually hurts the farming industry in the long run. I believe that there's no other choice than doing that for disaster relief, whether that disaster relief be nat natural or man-made, man-made being a war. So I understand that women and children need to be cared for in the time of war. However, what happens oftentimes, in my opinion, is that charities as well, like the World Food Program, basically creates a system of dependency. And as the Africans become more dependent on free food from a group like the World Food Program, they tend to lose the ability to produce food themselves and because a, a, a farmer can't go out and farm and bust his butt every single day. I grew up on a farm. Um, I, I know a little bit about farming. I grew up in the heartland of, of Indiana, or uh, you don't get more farming area than Indiana. Indiana is basically some very fertile soil. You can spit on the ground and something's going to grow. It's very, very fertile soil, and it's flat. It's, it, that's why I love to fly there. I, I got my pilot license in Indiana because you can navigate the entire state almost by sight. You just get up in the air and you can see everywhere because there's no elevation. There's no mountains. It's, it's completely flat land, which means that the, the majority of Indiana is farmable. That's why when you drive through Indiana, you really don't see anything but corn. You don't have high rises. We don't have big mountains, majestic mountains and, and amazing rivers. I mean, we have muddy rivers. My, my, I took my, my, um, my wife and kids one time um, down the uh, Salamone River. Uh, my, my wife thought we were <laughs> trudging the sewer. Um, the, the, the mud stinks. You know, the water's dark brown. Uh, it's, it's not the beautiful, pristine waters that she's used to from northern Sweden uh, or even in the archipelago between Sweden and Finland. These are, these are the muddy waters of the Salamone. And, um, and those waters waters um, irrigate the farming land like you wouldn't believe, and, 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 but it's all flat, completely flat land. So I know a little bit about farming, and I do know that even with our great farming area with flat land as well as very uh, productive soil, um, if you gave the people of Indiana free food for an extended period of time, the farmers would no longer be able to farm because it wouldn't be a viable living any longer. Because if you grow food, let's say that you grow corn, but people can get it for free, a farmer can't compete with free. So they stop farming because they can't make money doing it. And then they join the line waiting for the free food. And the free food continues to go and it creates this dependency. And if you want more, then you have to ask for more. You have to beg for more. And when the money runs out, when the food runs out, you basically have a famine on your hands because you have an entire generation of people that have gotten used to free food and they don't know how to make for themselves anymore. Well, what the Chinese are doing, I would argue, is more beneficial for the rising of rising the Africans out of poverty than providing free stuff. Because what they are doing is they are providing an economic tool, an engine for businesses to thrive and businesses um, can hire people so people can make money so that they can grow food so that they can send their food to be sold in other countries using a very reliable source of transportation, the train network, the train system that the Chinese are building. They're not just building any train. If you've been traveling to China lately, we have some of the world's best trains try to go from the Shanghai airport to downtown Shanghai, you can take the maglev. That maglev will get you downtown in about uh, seven minutes, traveling at speeds well over 300 miles an hour. 
no wheels, all magnetic levitation. We have fast trains that go from Tianjin to Beijing, from Guangzhou to Guilin. Uh, we have fast trains that are popping up all over China at a breakneck speed that is moving goods and materials and people at the fastest rate that's ever been done in the history of mankind. That's happening right now in our lifetime. And here's the thing. The Chinese have actually figured this out, and I think it's an amazing thing. The rest of the world has kind of figured it out, but the Chinese actually put a, a dollar uh, now, I don't have the dollar in front of me right now, but for every minute of wasted time sitting on a train or transportation of goods and people, for every minute lost, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars of, 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 of a hit for an economy. That if you can increase the speed of train of a train or goods to be transported, you actually increase the productivity by several million dollars, not for the train, but for businesses that are linked by that train. And when you bring in several million dollars into an economy, you bring a lot more wealth to the people. And for us as missionaries inside of China, we are seeing that <clears throat> what has been good for the Chinese economic engine has also been good for missionaries. Prior to Mao Zedong, uh, communicating in China was virtually impossible in different areas of China that did not speak the Mandarin Chinese language. But once they unified the language, which was done mainly for government and business purposes under Mao Zedong, um, it actually became very much, much easier, not very easy, but easier, became easier for missionaries to go inside of China and minister because now they could speak one language instead of having to learn like 1500 languages instead of having to learn Miaozu and Izu and Liaozu and Tibetan and, and Uyghur and Mongolian now they just learned one Mandarin and now they can go to Inner Mongolia they can go to Xinjiang they can go to Tibet they can go to Yunnan they can go to Sichuan and use the Mandarin language to preach they are able to reach many more people than ever before. Getting goods back and forth. Do you know how many Bibles we deliver per year? Sometimes uh, anywhere from 250,000 to a million Bibles per year. Would not be possible to do in Africa in the way that we do in China. Because we have a, uh, an amazing road system, an amazing railway system, an amazing airport system inside of China. Have you flown in China lately? The airports are stinking amazing. We have amazing airports, cutting-edge, state-of-the-art airports. Uh, if you fly to Pudong in Shanghai, if you and not just Shanghai, I was just in Xinjiang, the most western region, uh, really poor. Most of the people are Muslim. Most people hate the Chinese, but you know what the Chinese did? They built a brand spanking new airport in Urumqi. Three different sections, absolutely gorgeous, amazing, state-of-the-art, gets transportation in and out, and it increases the amount of money that they're able to bring into Xinjiang. Have you been to Lhasa lately, Lhasa, Tibet? They have probably one of the nicest um, uh, train stations I've ever seen anywhere in the world. It is the highest elevated train in the world. And that train, I believe you, they even have to produce oxygen because of the altitude that that train travels at. And now they're able to get goods back and forth in and out of Tibet that brings uh, wealth to the economy in Tibet. Now they're doing the same to Africa. And I believe that this is going to bring out more good than all of the different um, uh, humanitarian operations combined. The, because this helps uh, humanitarian operations. This helps humanitarian workers. This helps humanitarian goods. This helps the people that are being helped by uh, humanitarian efforts because now they have more than one stream of revenue coming to them to provide aid and assistance. So for me, I feel that this is probably the biggest news in Africa in several uh, centuries. This, uh, some of the ports that the trains are traveling to are not able to actually bring in and out a lot of goods. So China's even making uh, better on their ports in Cameroon. Uh, China has signed a deal to give $1 billion to build a deep seaport in Cameroon. Um, the first phase is already completed. And now they're doing the rest of it. Uh, this, this, is, this is massive. 
for Africa. I mean, what does China mean to Africa? Well, if you look at how much they've already invested, they've already invested more than $131 billion on transportation construction alone. That was in 2015. In 2015, $131 billion. By 2025, there, there's another $200 billion expected to be spent on the continent's roads as well as their airports. $7 billion alone on African airports, which they desperately, desperately need. China has been investing in other projects as well in Africa, uh, including a megaport in Kenya. Uh, same as like what they're doing in Cameroon and also building manufacturing zones where entire zones, because one of the problems with Africa is the, is the ability to produce enough energy <coughs> to run big production factories. Mm. So they, the, the big production factories, um, uh, are, 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 are needed. Um, th this is what is taking place. Hydroelectric um, is being done. A lot of these, a lot of these things are being done by the Chinese, and, and we're extremely excited to see what the Chinese are doing inside of Africa. I could go on and on, but the bottom line is uh, Africa is being changed by the Chinese, not just by these efforts that are taking place, but also by the missionaries that are running in the wake of this. You can support the efforts of the Chinese missionaries who are starting businesses in Africa today to build on top of the things that the Chinese government is doing inside of Africa. You can do that by going to our website. If you go to backtojerusalem.com, you can go to the donate button, hit the donate button. Once you hit the donate button, you'll see an area that says mission support. Backtojerusalem.com slash home slash mission support. You can go there on our website and donate today where we will use the money to help the Chinese missionaries who are going and working in Africa. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I pray that this was new information for you. I, I apologize if I spoke fast, but I'm running out of space on my mobile phone. <laughs> that is the practical reason why I am speaking fast. I'm running out of space on my mobile phone, uh, and uh, and I wanted to make sure that I finished all of the information that I wanted to share with you, our audience, before I closed up. And I know that people don't want to listen for more than an hour, um, so that's why I try to usually make our podcast less than 30 minutes. Sorry that this one went a little over, but thank you so much for joining us again for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time. Coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. God bless you.